You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where I'm trying to avoid the obvious circle songs for the show. At least for now. and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Ingle, and I like talking about Green Lantern comics, specifically the Green Lantern comics starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with the cover date November 2004, and the ones that put a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. This time out, we're going to be covering, first off, the Green Lantern book, Green Lantern 133, which is a beginning part of a new sort of saga between Green Lantern and a Yellow Power Ring user, who just doesn't have to be Sinestro. If you remember from last issue, he was kind of the guy who was in the mental institution and was approached by the Cordians, and, well, now he's gotten out and he's wrecking havoc on everyone, including Green Lantern, Alan Scott. Plus, we're also going to be taking a look at the second part of the Green Lantern Circle of Fire storyline, where the Flash Green Lantern Green Lightning teams up with the Rodian hero Adam Strange in Green Lantern and Adam Strange. And as a person who loves Adam Strange as much as I do, I've decided to bring him along for the podcast. You may know him from such shows over at the Relatively Kiki podcast as the Quarter Bend podcast and the Shortbox Showcase. You may also know him from the Book Guys show, where he's a frequent contributor over there. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my privilege and pleasure to welcome back to the show, Professor Alan Middleton. Hey, Alan. Hey, Sean. Great to be here. And you know, who among us has not been to the mental institution and approached by a Cordia? You make it sound so unusual. It's kind of judgmental. Well, you know, it's... <laughs> It's been a while since it's happened to me, and I think the medications have kind of blocked that last <laughs> meeting. So, thanks for bringing up old traumas. <laughs> but no, we're going to be taking a look at these really two, I think are, you know, not to spoil anything ahead, but I think are really great issues. The Circle of Fire storyline has been really fun, and I'm glad that we're going to be talking a little about Adam Strange, which, you know, as you've been covering on the Quarterbend podcast, seems to be the uh, character that most often ends up in the quarter bins. The good thing is I've had an opportunity to talk about Adam Strange four times in 33 episodes. The bad thing is he is all over the quarter bins. I mean, that's why, you know, I've never, you know, sometimes I, I dig through the cheap bins for, you know, stories, you know, for the show. And I think, oh, great. I'm glad I found this. Oh, it's a bummer that it's here. You know, so I, 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 I do have those mixed feelings about finding books I really like. Yeah, it is. It's 25 cent box. It is disappointing that Adam Strange is one of those characters that DC just can't seem to get a hold on. And I think you, in your recent Quarter Bin episode, did sort of address, you know, why he's not front and center type character like a Green Lantern character would be. 
But we'll be getting to coverage of not only Green Lantern and uh, Adam Strange, but Green Lantern number 133 after we play some promos right now. I sense a disturbance in the Force. You always sense a disturbance in the Force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes or crossover events that can cost a hundred bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarter Bin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every Penny. Okay, and we are back. And for going emails again, thanks everyone for writing in and keep those letters and emails coming. I'll get to those soon. We're going to go ahead and start with Green Lantern number 133. This one was cover dated February 2000 and released on December 6th of 2000, probably the uh, last uh, comic for Green Lantern of the uh, of the old millennium. So there you go. The cover price was $2.25 U.S. and $3.75 in Canada, and the title was While Rome Burned Part 2 Enters the Emperor. The writer again was Judd Winnick. The penciler this time out was Mark Bright, or M.D. Bright. The inker was Rich Faber. The colorist was Rob Schwager. Letterer was Chrissy Leopolis. Associate editor was Michael Wright, and the editor was Bob Schreck. In a hospital room at St. Vincent's Hospital in New York City, Jenny Lynn Hayden, Marin Dethalis, Kyle Rayner, and Guy Gardner watch over the recovering body of John Stewart. After the fight with Fatality, leaving John with multiple injuries, John's girlfriend Marin is none too upset over the fate of the Lantern Hunter who did this. Kyle tries to rationalize her actions, but Marin says that what happened to her isn't an excuse for what she did. Kyle agrees, but feels that a lot of people get away with doing horrible things due to past tragedies, like Hal Jordan, for example. Kyle begins to head out for the night, just as John wakes from his painkiller-induced stupor long enough to mention how much he appreciates Kyle. Exiting the room, Kyle is joined by Jenny, who asks him if everything is alright. Kyle mentions that it's a bit harder now being a Green Lantern with all the shades of grey and dealing with his enemies, and after a bit of silent walking together out of the building, Jenny asks if Kyle is hungry, and 
and the two go out to get some cheap pizza together. Over the course of the next few weeks, and some melodramatic narration from Kyle, we see Jenny and Kyle's relationship rekindling, eventually culminating with them ending up in bed together, presumably post-coitally. However, some afternoon delight is interrupted by Terry Bird buzzing Kyle's apartment, asking about his artwork for the magazine. Attempting to cover for his night of hot monkey love, Kyle tells Terry to meet him downstairs at Predu's, which Terry dejectedly agrees to do. Jenny jokingly asks Kyle if he's coming back for more, but says that she's happy how things are going and doesn't want to rush things. She'll leave and see him sometime later. Saying he feels more grounded, Kyle is fine with that, and the two playfully part ways. Meanwhile, flying over the Brooklyn Bridge in New York City, former Green Lantern and current Sentinel, Alan Scott, spies some giant yellow hellhounds terrorizing the people on the bridge. Alan engages the beasties, but eventually gets overwhelmed by more of the yellow beings coming in from all sides. Cut to Radu's coffee house, where Kyle and Terry are talking about Kyle's flippant attitude about his comic strip for Feast magazine. Kyle says that he's running ahead of schedule, and he says that he thinks Terry is upset that he's spending so much time with Jenny. After some awkward silence, Terry says that he's just been bogged down with homework, and it's been getting to him. But any chance of conversation is cut short as Radu calls Kyle over to take a phone call, which is just a pretense to get him to see the battle between Sentinel and the Yellow Horrors on the bridge. Making an excuse about a magazine interview, Kyle leaves the dejected Terry behind and heads out to help Alan. Reaching the bridge, Kyle rescues Alan from the throngs of Lovecraftian nightmares, only to encounter the true threat behind all of this, Alex Nero, the yellow ring-wielding psychopath and his army of hellish construct minions. So, uh, what do you think about this issue, Professor Allen? That was fun. Mm -hmm. I I agree. I I think this is a good blending of the sort of mundane downtime storyline with the big action smash-em-ups that seem to have been more prevalent in this era. Um, I've mentioned a lot before on the show that one of the things that not really turns me off that I'm but I'm kind of disappointed that we don't see too much in the modern DC storytelling is this kind of downtime stuff where we see more personalized character interaction. Um, I will admit I did read uh, the first issue of Jeff Johns and John Romita's Superman, and that seemed to have a bit more interaction with uh, Clark and the uh, members of the planet, but it still doesn't seem like we're getting this sort of downtime stuff, and this is what I really like about this era. And it's, it's tricky to sort of break it up and I would have almost preferred you know we had basically half the issue is the personal stuff and then wham bam the action begins if there's you know sort of a way to more intersperse those it would have been a I think a a more interesting read but due to the nature of the time frame you're talking that really didn't work uh, but you know but I, I I do like the fact that we do have this personal interaction these great character bits and then you get the action bits. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think uh, Judge Winnick is doing a pretty good job at, you know, doing both action and doing character bits. Um, I'm yeah. liking the fact that Kyle and Jenny are sort of rekindling their relationship. And although it doesn't feel as natural as it came uh, in Mars's run, I think, you know, over the sort of just two page, uh, the couple of pan- the couple of two pages that they have getting back together, it's it's done well enough, and you feel even though in the book it's not spaced out over a long period of time through the uh, panel progressions, you can tell that it's not just they get to back together and then suddenly they're back in bed. There's some progression of that. Uh, it's them getting back to being right. friends and back into lovers. It's not just them jumping into it again. I mean, I didn't uh, the my my first time through it, I didn't catch that progression of time. So we have this panel where Jenny's in her nightgown, you know, kissing him, and I th- and I'm thinking, where did that nightgown come from? Does Kyle just have a stash of them at his apartment <laughs> for you know when they're uh, needed? Yeah, well, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, you're you're a, a young twenty something. You know, you just have them. You know, maybe he orders from the Victoria's Secret catalog quite often. <laughs> You know, I'm certain, you know, you constantly get those in the mail. Um, I do like I do like that we're getting more development with the character of Terry and we can talk talk about him here in a while. I don't know if you're specifically knowledgeable about what's going on with him, but uh, just based on what you've talked about up to the episodes that have aired okay. as of this recording. So a few a few issues behind. OK, no problem. Um if you want, uh, let's go ahead and just we'll go sort of page by page through the book. I'm taking a look at that cover, and I, you know, this was one of the things that that struck me about this run was this cover. I love this color. I, 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 I love the background color of the sky. Alan looks wonderful. The sort of creepy yellow tentacle reaching up to grab his legs is great. Um, the color is drawn by uh, Matt Wagner. Who, oh, wow. okay. who yep. you might know, he did some work on, uh, I know he did work on Sandman Mystery Theater, and right. he also did some work on some of the, uh, I think, Legends of the Dark Knight as well. But the the book that I know him most from is, I think it was Comico back in the mid-80s, late-80s, did a book called Mage, The Hero Discovered, which is sort of a modern-day adaptation of the Arthurian legend. That's a really great book, and it was supposed to be released in sort of three stories that uh, depicted, you know, this character, Kevin Matchstick's rise to his heroism as a sort of Arthurian legend in modern times, to his uh, dealing with a group that's the Knights of the Round Table in the modern times, and then his downfall. And unfortunately, the, the third chapter in that hasn't been written yet, Oh wow! Uh, but it, it's it, it's is, really uh, is is Grendel his? Grendel is also another one of his. Yeah. I think Grendel spun out of the yeah, uh, maid. It, it story. sounds like sort of similar. But it's uh, it, it, it he's always been a really nice, clean artist. I think he does a great job drawing Alan on this uh, cover. I do think "clean" is the exact right word mm-hmm. for this for this cover. And you know, it's there are a lot of characters in the issue. And maybe, you know, in, in, a, in a sense, it's not as reflective of the action of the story, but it's a great picture. Mm-hmm. And, and Alan Scott it re- really is the action guy in the story. So that certainly works for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's 
it's just a nice image. I, I really, it's, I think the, the costume, the sort of red and green, you know, stand out from the very blue and cloudy background. So it, it just, for me, it just pops off the page. Yeah. And to be able to, and you know, to be able to do that without much in the way of other text or you know, anything like that, it just says creeping death. Mm-hmm. That's all you have. And then, you know, the names of the artist and the name of the title, but you know, m- most of the, uh, most of the cover is the blue sky, probably in, in the in the background, is the predominant, and then the Alan Scott right there, front and center, you know, taking the middle, you know, quadrant of the cover. Yeah, you know, I think it works. That mysterious yellow thing reaching out for him adds a little, a little sense of danger. Yes, very much so. Um, moving into the book on page one, I'm really glad to see. Uh, MD Bright back on the issue. Uh, I loved his, I loved his work on the early Green Lantern run. Um, I think his art style is a lot, a, a lot crisper. It's a lot more, his line detail is a lot more, it's not quite as angular, but it's a lot sharper than what we got with uh, Daryl Banks. Daryl Banks seems to be a bit more loose with his pencils. And I, I, I really think all the characters look really great. Uh, throughout all of this book, so I'm glad to see uh, Mark Bright back in the book. And and in, in in you know in terms of this this group that we're given here, you know we think of Superman's cast of characters as the Superman family or the Batman family, but we tend to think of Green Lantern as the core. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a work relationship almost. Uh, but I think this scene really gives us an idea of this being the Green Lantern family. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a nice, a nice touch. And this was something that uh, that I really enjoyed about Ron Mars's run after, you know, after Hal Jordan essentially went away in the uh, final night storyline. Ron Mars decided to develop the Earth-based Lanterns as kind of a family. So not only did you have John, uh, Guy, and Alan working with Kyle to sort of be mentors and friends to him. You also had the secondary characters of Jenny as his daughter becoming in and becoming a, you know, uh, having a relationship with Kyle. Plus you got a little bits with, uh, Marin here. Who's uh, John's girlfriend at the time. So I like the family aspect in there. And it's another way that they're grounding it here and giving you this sort of downtime, you know, uh, character building moments in the story. So, yeah. Now we get on page two, we get a, a a shot of Guy, and it's a recent guest of yours. It may have been Thomas DJ mm-hmm. who referenced this page in this panel as sort of representing a step back for mm-hmm. Guy Gardner's characterization. Yeah, I that think, happens here during the Winnick run. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that it's not going to be a full reversion to his JLI character because I think both both Smith and Ron Mars have taken Guy out of the sort of you know, frat boy mentality and giving him more of a personality. And I hope this is just Winnick sort of not knowing what to do with the character or not having researched what had happened in like the Smith run, the Bo Smith run or the uh, Ron Mars run to the character and just, you know, taking a look at the JLI Keith Giffen guy Gardner iteration going, Oh, yeah, that's how just, guy is. Yeah. Cause just, just, just for context, you know, everyone is thinking about the events and what they could have done and the drama and the injustice and guys thinking about the Knicks tickets and when it would be rude to get up and walk out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and that's he, he's just following, l- listening to this show. You've chronicled how far guys come as a character, mm-hmm. and I, I really don't want to see him go back to that. And even in even in modern comics, even you know, I've been listening a lot to the Lantern cast, and they uh, tend to say that the Red Lantern, which the Red Lantern book, which Guy Gardner is front and center in, is probably one of their favorite right. books. And Guy has really grown as a character in that. He's not just the you know angry guy who's going to punch everything. He's a lot more nuanced, and I, I'm liking that. I, I do love, really, really like the art on this page, because you've got these character insets, either one or two characters, and everyone looks good, everyone looks different. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in comic books, that's not always what you get. I mean, it helps everyone's got different skin tones and different hair colors, but even beyond that, everyone looks different from each other. Oh, yeah, and I, I attribute that to... To just the talent that Mark Bright brings yeah, to the book. Absolutely. Um, pages three and four, uh, I like how Winnick's shading in Kyle and making him feel for some of the villains that he has to deal with. Um, yes, Fatality is killed and tried to kill many Green Lanterns, but she does have kind of uh, an impetus for doing this. Uh, her planet, her entire existence was destroyed because of the fault of John Stewart. I mean, Yes, that doesn't justify what she's doing, but you it, it allows you to empathize with her more than just a villain who wants to overthrow the universe. So I, I like that Kyle's now being faced to look at more shades of gray as a hero, and I think that's one of the things that Judd Winnick's taking with the character right now. That's the track Judd Winnick's taking with the character right now. And I, I, I like in this series of pages with the relationship with Jenny, that, and this is one of my things I look for in comics, is that Jenny looks like a legitimate, real-world pretty girl. Mm-hmm. You know, she looks pretty, but she looks real. Yeah, she doesn't look... She looks possible. Yeah, she doesn't look out of the ordinary. She doesn't look like... She doesn't look like a character that you wouldn't actually meet in real life. She looks like... I don't want to say the girl next door... But, well, maybe that is a good uh, analogy. She looks like one of the very attractive people that you would actually see in real life. And, yeah, I'm glad that they don't have to – don't feel the need to draw her in a ridiculous manner because I think that would kind of take you out of the book. And, you know, the fact that we're having a sort of non-superhero issue or non-superhero moment here with these fantastical characters that are – blue-skinned and green-skinned and can create fantastic constructs with a magical wishing ring that we have them be, being set in reality. So that's that's kind of nice. That's a nice part of this book. And the the story, at least, you know, this this part of it's taking place appears to be in winter on, you know, some of the background scenes. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that both characters are fully covered. You know, they're wearing long pants and coats and snow boots. Yes. You know, the only time you know you see much uh, no skin at all is uh, when they're dressed up to go out to a restaurant. She's wearing a nice, realistic, reasonable dress, mm-hmm. and even even the nightgown is realistic. You yep. know. Yeah, yeah. And, I was. And 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 you know, where we're seeing her body, it's realistic. Mm-hmm. Kyle, I think. You know, um, we'll go ahead and move on to the after the the two page where we have the sort of montage of them, you know, 
Kyle and Jenny reconnecting. I will say Kyle is now looking a bit beefier. Uh, I'm on page right. eight here. Right. I, I usually see. I usually saw Kyle as sort of lean. He looks a bit more muscular, top heavy, but it's not. It's not dramatically different. And you know, I also have to mention. I don't know if you look on page eight, that third panel there, the the sort of uh, column there where Terry's talking into the uh, speakerphone. Right. That character down at the bottom of the panel. Oh yeah. Does that look like Peter Parker to you? Hmm. A, uh, a little bit. If if you hadn't mentioned it, I probably would not have gone there, but I can see it. See, I'm wondering I'm wondering if that's a sort of sly wink because Kyle, Kyle's neighborhood is supposed to be in the uh, Greenwich Village area. Ah, that's right. And they kind of <laughs> mentioned that, you know, they've kind of hinted and sort of played fast and loose that that's also where Doctor Strange resides. And in, right. I think in the first time that Kyle moved to New York City, he met a character who was possibly an al- analog to uh, Doctor Strange's sort of manservant Wong. So I'm wondering if, you know, this is just <laughs> Peter Parker came to the wrong apartment and was looking for Doctor Strange and just got, you know, messed up. Well, that's just, that's what I'm saying. He just wanted to grab something to eat at Radu's. That happens. <laughs> well, Radu's has got good coffee. Um, again, yeah, Jenny's uh, little uh, nightgown thing. It's 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 nice. She looks natural. It's not. It's not ridiculous. We've seen some female coverings that have been kind of over the top in these issues, but this is just. It's something you would expect uh, a woman who's attractive like Jenny would actually might wear to bed or might wear after, you know, a night of super happy fun time. <laughs> and it, it, it does appear to follow basic rules of both fashion and gravity, mm-hmm. which is yeah. not always the case in yeah, it's not, uh, comic book fashion. Yeah, it's not uh, staying in places where it shouldn't be able to stay. <laughs> Uh, on page 10, we get an editor's note saying that the Circle of Fire and all of this happened, you know, prior to this. And as we, as you know, we'll be covering another chapter in the Circle of Fire book. And I'll be interested to see how all of the Circle of Fire stuff works into the story and how it uh, progresses this. But I, I'm glad that we get editor's notes every once in a while because that seems to be one of the things that's kind of infrequently yeah. done in the story. Moving on to page 11, uh, this is another thing I'm going to uh, credit to Mark Bright. The The third panel there, we get the close-up of Alan's face. Right. It's it's brilliant. You know, uh, he's got one eyebrow raised and one eye a little wider open. The expression on his face is it, – it's, it's a great facial expression. You can tell that Alan's sort of perplexed by what he's seeing. And he doesn't have to, you know, you've got the word balloon up there, which obviously helps. But so much is said in his face that he's seeing something that he knows isn't supposed to be going on. And I, I just love Bright's ability to to capture that in Alan's expression here. You know, I really appreciate the revival that Alan Scott went under during the this era, you know, from the 90s onward, really bringing him into you know, the Earth One sort of main DC continuity with Sentinel and all of that. Um, I thought that was a great idea. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is, 
the the unfortunate thing about the crisis is what had to happen to the justice society and earth too and i think this is a nice way to kind of get him in to the green lantern series and give him a, a sort of you know kind of you know again making him part of the green lantern family like superman had a family and like you know batman had a family making him part of the green lantern family was i think one of the better things they could have done for the character after the the crisis kind of took away the idea of earth 2 and what could go on there and i like the idea of sort of multi-generational aspects as well you mm-hmm. know sort of in the way that you know the role that jay garrick has you know in the flash yes family you know having that sort of older mentor well, guy uh, who knows the ropes Mm-hmm. And that's 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 another great example of how they can utilize these these golden age characters in the modern era, and you know, you know, keep telling stories with them and keeping them you know an essential part, and plus also giving some some history to the characters, you know, giving some history to the Green Lantern or to the Flash, you know, series. So yeah, right. um, my next note because the rest of the stuff is just pretty much Alan fighting the beasties and all that and that's all that's all well and good but i like the constructs or whatever these yellow things are they're that they definitely are bizarre and we will see more of those as we progress on through the books uh but yeah they're pretty crazy hellish beast and it's uh it's pretty much said that the the guy who's creating them yes is well he's insane so it makes sense (laughs) Uh, my next note comes on page 15, and we get yes. another really great character-building uh, story with Terry. And as I've said, and you, if you've listened to the episode that I've released, Terry Berg is a character that's going to be you know, built upon during the Judd Winnick run, and he is going to be a character who's eventually revealed to be homosexual. And I like how we're kind of getting the idea that there might be that, that he's, he he's uncomfortable with expressing it to Kyle and he doesn't know exactly how to bring this out to Kyle. And it's, it's done in such a way that it's not felt like Terry is supposed to be trying to come out. You could also see it as just sort of teenage angst or his uncomfortableness with being with, uh, a person that he looks up to. So uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying the development of Terry in the story. And uh, it's, I, I think Winnick is doing a significantly better job with this character that we know is going to turn out to be gay than the first character that we encountered in Winnick's run. That was just a horrible stereotype. Yeah, and as, as you and Tom discussed in that, maybe that over-the-top stereotype was deliberately a counterpart to this to this character, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the more the more and more I'm getting into this book, and the more and more I'm reading of the character of Terry, I'm thinking that was yes, deliberately put there to throw people off and say, oh, well, this is this is how this character, this is how you know Winnick's going to portray a gay character, and when we get the reveal that Terry is eventually gay, it'll be like. Oh, well, I learned to enjoy Terry as a character, and now I just know that his homosexuality is a part of the character. 
I'm fine with that. It doesn't mean anything. It's just part of who he is. And I like him as a character rather than liking him as a gay character. So I, I, I think I think the development of Terry throughout the book so far has been just wonderful. I really love the art on this page as well. Sort of the the setup because very sort of the top and the bottom of the page is a, a long uh, panel that sort of reflect each other. But we're starting outside the restaurant, and we know that because we can read the word radus on it. Mm-hmm. So we're outside the restaurant, and there's a little bit of reflection on the on the uh, window as well to give that away. Then we slowly move inside the restaurant, and then at the very bottom. We're inside the restaurant looking out because mm-hmm. you've got Radu's written on the window backwards like you'd see it from the inside. Very subtle, but when you have two people talking, you need to do something to the panel layout, to, you know, to something to, to show some sense of you know, camera motion or something. And I thought that was really well done. Oh, yeah. Sort of the, sort of the, the, the staging of the scene, to put it in, in cinematic terms. Yeah, I agree. That's a that's a good way to the cinematic. I think is a great way to describe it. It's you know it's a overarching camera shot that comes to the window, almost uh, you know kind of Hitchcockian, that 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 just circles around the character and it starts with them you know talking to each other at the end, and then after the conversation, you know after they finally come inside and the conversation has kind of died down, it's it's them shown from the other angle. It's 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 a nice composition on this page. Um, on the and, next... and then, oh yeah, I was, on on the next page, then we have Radu the hero. Mm-hmm. And the more I hear about this character, mostly from you, mm-hmm. or read him myself, but mostly from you on the podcast, the more I really like him. I I really enjoy the secondary characters, especially Radu in this book. Uh, he, I like the fact that Kyle, and I like the fact that from the beginning, pretty much, Radu knew that Kyle was Green Lantern. Right. And it was kind of apparent because like every other issue, Kyle's apartment was getting blown up or people were knocking in the roof or the wall, <laughs> smashing through there. So you would think after a while, after having to repair this, um, he'd kind of get the hint. And possibly the fact that, you know, he saw giant uh, green, he saw green women walking up to his apartment as well. And maybe giant flashes of green going on there, you know, I don't think Radu is an unintelligent person, and I like the fact that he's sort of the sort of the Pete Ross of the uh, Green Lantern universe at this time. He's right. the one who knows Kyle's secret, but is willing to keep it secret, you know, but help him out whenever he can. So I like that. And I don't remember how much of of Radu's backstory we have, but I imagine, you know, back in the old country. He saw some tough things, you know, uh, just based on the time, the Cold War time, or you know whatever we're talking. That you know he's seen some tough things, so he's a tough guy. I like that too. Yes, there there was a story, a couple of stories a while back. I want to say in the one twenties where uh, Radu dealt with a assassin who killed his wife and he had to confront him right, basically right. radio had to work with, you know back in the days of uh, nikolai ceausescu i think is how that's you right, the name. right uh you know he worked as sort of a government agent and sort of black ops assassin type person and the uh the guy who he was working with had basically come back to try and assassinate radio and that's when he revealed that he knew that kyle was green lantern all the time 
So, but yeah, and, he's he's a great character. And and to give Judd Winner credit here, he is bringing in some of his own you know new characters, but he is willing to take you know what you know has really been a terrific cast of minor characters from the prior writers, really all 132 prior issues, and use those people as well. Mm-hmm. Not just bring in his own new characters that he's dying to use. Yeah, so far... But, but, but use what's there already. Yeah, so far, Terry has been the only one that he's brought in, but he's, as we've seen in this issue, he's used John, he's used Guy, he's used Marin, he's used Jenny, he's used Radu. I, I know he's going to be using a, uh, more of the Bleecker Street Irregulars that they call, I think, in later <laughs> right. parts of the book. So I'm looking forward to all of this. I, and I think... It's a credit to Winnick that even though he has his own story that he wants to tell, he's not just chucking everything that Ron Mars and previous writers did out the window. So that's that's nice. Right. Yeah. Uh, after that, it's just, uh, you know, Kyle dashes away and leaves Terry sort of dejected. And it's another nice scene with Terry. But after that, it's just more sort of fighting McFightenstein until, you know, Kyle ends up rescuing, you know, rescuing Alan. And we get that. uh my last notes on the final splash page with uh, Nero and all these crazy yellow constructs. I do want to know where he found the uh, the blue bodysuit and that incredibly long trench coat uh, after escaping from the. Maybe the Cordians gave him to that. Gave him that. <laughs> maybe that's uh, standard operating. I don't know. It looks like the trench coat looks like he might have gotten it out of John Cusack's. <laughs> I could sure. see that. He's holding up a boombox over his head. That would really give it away. <laughs> oh, if he could make a ring construct boombox. <laughs> just just play some Peter Gabriel. There's a nice ending splash page and cliffhanger, though. Mm-hmm. I, I think and this... Surrounded a... in the background, whether that's sort of realistic, whether those all those you know, demonic Lovecraftian characters are sort of quote-unquote really there. Or whether that's just there as you know, as an artistic touch. Either, um, either it's way, great. yeah. Either way, it works. It's it's a it's a good way to set him up as you know. And it, I, I I think this is great. I think Kyle really hasn't had a villain to to specifically match him in the same arena. What made Green Lantern uh, in in the early run great was his meetings with Sinestro. By far, Sinestro was his best character. And I think, you know, having them have a yellow ring bearer go up against Kyle, even if there isn't the, the possibility of the yellow weakness affecting him, is, is a great is a great storytelling arc. And I'm glad we're getting back to a sort of ring versus ring uh, storyline where, where these two people are having to fight against each other. And, I mean, this guy's no hair metal sonar. <laughs> you know, but he is, you know, long trench coat. You could can, can see some grunge here, perhaps, and, or something, you know. And he's got the spandex as well. So, you know, um, thankfully, you know, the, the bat <laughs> the bat thing is covering up his, uh, you know, the possible bulge where his groin would be. So I'm fine with that. <laughs> Another very nice artistic choice. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I enjoyed this issue. This is... It doesn't quite feel... I know this is going to run for another couple of issues. It doesn't quite feel like it's a written-for-the-trade type book yet. But I'm wondering if that's kind of what they're thinking of. Because I think at this point in time now, uh, trade paperbacks were starting to be kind of the thing. And I know a lot of these books from this time 
had been collected in like the 90s, late 90s and 2000s as uh, trade paperbacks for this. So uh, I, I don't think this is an example of them writing for the trade, but uh, it might be sort of kind of the beginning of it. But it baby, doesn't feel that. Baby steps in that direction. Yes. Here and what were we? Uh, yeah, 2000, 2001. Yeah. Good day. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Agreed. All right. Well, um, I think we're going to go ahead and uh, shut this one down for now, and we'll go ahead and take another break here. I'll put in a couple of promos, and once we get back, we're going to take a look at the second part of the Green Lantern Circle of Fire storyline, starting with Green Lantern Adam Strange, number one. They return And the grand facade So soon will burn of Supermates' estates, there stands an ancient crumbling abode. This structure is said to contain unimaginable horrors, certain to chill your blood. Dare you enter the House of Frankenstein? You're insane. Don't tell me of it. I don't want to hear. I've changed my mind. I won't do it. In September and October, join the Baron Franklin Stein and his bride. Woman. Prayer. Yes. I want prayer. For four bone-chilling episodes as they discuss some of your favorite classic horror films. I am Dracula and I welcome you to my house. My name is Horace. And resurrect and dissect some of the greatest monsters in cinema history. There's an old poem. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms. And the autumn moon is bright. But don't fear, comic fans. This house is full of dusty long boxes containing your favorite superheroes' encounters with the supernatural. Oh, vampires, Batman! We're surrounded! Your horror host will unravel a harrowing adventure each episode. Now, Superman, you will feel the bite of Dracula. This house of horrors can be found at www.supermatescomic.blogspot.com or on iTunes by searching for Supermates. Go quickly. Go! Yes! Yes, I'm going! So, grab your crucifix and wolfsbane, light your candle, and explore the blood-soaked corridors of the House of Frankenstein. We'll be expecting you. Go now. Heaven help you. Ah! Meeting adjourned. 
gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring Superman and Batman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, the DC Comics Presents Show, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, It's Superman, the Schuster Herald Podcast, the Kara's Herald Podcast, Superman Forever Radio, Superman Lives, Up, Up and Away, Cadmus to Crisis, a Superboy Podcast. The Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen's podcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Russell Brad, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Bob Fisher, Chris Moe, Mario Benessi, Drew Wintermeyer, David Byer, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. Dave Eunice and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we are back. So, again, we're going to take a look at our second book right now. It's part of the Circle of Fire storyline, and it is Green Lantern, Adam Strange number one, or the only one, I guess. This one was covered. <laughs> again, yeah, I don't know why they call it number one, but, you know, like I said over in the Tangent books, you know, all of those are number ones as well, even though they never went to number two. And Yeah, cause, yeah there's, there's nowhere in the uh, Overstreet Guide or the online you know, <laughs> database to put number only. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how you would uh, would file that in your comic book. Let's see, this is number one. Of course, if this, this were Marvel, yeah, we'd be... eventually have a, a number only point one. Yes. Oh, no, thank you, Marvel, for, for making our collecting habits just even more difficult. But yes, uh, this is uh, Green Lantern Adam Strange. Uh, cover date was October 2000, and re- the, the release date was August 23rd of 2000. The cover price was two fifty US and three ninety five in Canada, and the title was "We Ran All Night." Get it? It's it's a pun because it's uh, you get it. The writer was Brian K. Vaughn. The penciler was Kerry Nord. The inker was Mark Lipka. Letter was Sean Conant. The colorist was Tom McCraw. Separations were by Jameson. The assistant editor was Frank Berrios, and the editor was Matt Idelson. On the moon-based JLA Watchtower, interplanetary hero Adam Strange bemoans the fact that he only has two minutes to get to the next Zeta Beam to Ron, what with the Beam's impact site being in New Zealand and the closest teleporter only able to get him to Mexico. Luckily, Adam has teamed up with Green Lightning, the speedster-slash-lantern hybrid who's able to carry him across that distance with time to spare. The beam hits, and the two heroes are whisked away to the alien world of Ron, where Adam witnesses the devastation that Oblivion caused during his absence. However, Green Lightning points out that the devastation isn't caused by Oblivion, but the rampaging residents of the planet Ron. Geo postulates, like in Kyle's comic, that the people of Ron were driven mad by the appearance of Oblivion, and that's why they are wrecking up the place. And suddenly Adam realizes that his wife and daughter might have befallen the same madness, so he and GL rush to the royal palace to check on them. Approaching his wife and turning on his communicator, because, hey, why learn the language of the person that you're madly in love with, right? 
Adam finds that he's too late, and Alana wants to see him dead as well. Come on, Sean. We don't understand our wives either. Uh, well, yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, Green Lightning zips him out of the line of Alana's laser blast, but since she can't use her Green Lantern ring, the two head off to a secluded area of the planet. Arriving at the Ronian equivalent of the South American rainforest, Adam and Green Lightning talk about what to do about the madness. GL says that even though she's both a speedster and a lantern, she seems to have a mental block that keeps her from using her powers in tandem. Adam can understand the thought of having two legacies to live up to as he starts to delve into a soliloquy of self-pity. But all of that is put on hold as the duo are attacked by a giant blue tiger demon thingy. Some fighting but Feitenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, breaks out with Adam having to improvise by tossing his jetpack into the maw of the monster to subdue it. Using the speed force, GL slows Adam's fall and catches him, noting that he's far braver than any Earthling that she's ever met. Still wondering why he wasn't affected by the madness, Adam gets the idea that the Ronian's senses might be perceiving something he might not be able to, such as the wavelength of light. Adam asks GL to accelerate her rate of perception to scan for the wavelengths she normally couldn't see, and this leads to the duo finding the source of the problem, a giant Green Lantern construct. Telling Green Lightning that she can overcome her doubts about her dual heritage, Adam watches her speed off and use the ring at the same time to reverse the polarity, Doctor Who, and bring the Ronians out of their fugue state. But hot victory sex between Adam and Alana will have to wait as he and Green Lightning are called to the remnants of Oa for a final showdown with Oblivion. Now, uh, I really enjoyed this. What did you think about this, Professor? I thought it was fun. Mm -hmm. And I'd certainly obviously never run across Green Green Lightning before. But I thought that was a fun character, too. Now, I don't exactly know what's going on. I've read a little bit of what might be going on in the Circle of Fire storyline. And I don't really want to spoil it. But the various Lantern characters... Basically, in the first issue of Circle of Fire, there are two issues of them, so you can have an issue one and two. Um, (laughs) In the first issue, there's this character, Oblivion, that starts menacing the universe, and it's kind of perplexing to Kyle because, as a youth, Kyle imagined this character, Oblivion, and drew him in his little comic drawings when he was a kid. So Kyle is kind of led to believe that he somehow created the character of Oblivion. Oblivion basically took down a lot of the Justice League, and Kyle was left on the Watchtower with these various people, Power Girl, Adam, Firestorm, uh, Adam Strange, and himself. And he had to go after... He had to go after Oblivion to try and take him down. Well, luckily he was accompanied by these five different Green Lanterns from various timelines who I think might also be creations of Kyle's mind. And I'm not exactly certain what's going on, but I think it has something to do with that. But yes, uh, Green Lightning is supposedly a 
character from the future that's a offspring of both Kyle's descendants and Wally West's descendants. So not only does she have access to the Speed Force, but she's also able to use the Green Lantern ring. So that's her that's her deal. And I appreciate you asking me on to to, to cover this because one of the things about doing the doing the Quarterbin podcast is it's really rediscovered my appreciation and love for Adam Strange. What a great character. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I've really enjoyed digging into some of those, some of those adventures. And, you know, I, I was reading Adam Strange back in the mid seventies out of reprints. So I was probably reading stories from the fifties and sixties, you know, in those sort of compilation books, you know, it's one of the weird things about the bronze age is that they were still reprinting silver age stories, you know, at the, at the time, so so that's that that was my in to Adam Strange, and then I've been able to read some more more modern stories uh, with him as well. Mm-hmm. And this is this is one of the reasons I had you on because you have covered a lot of Adam Strange on your on your show, the Quarterbend Podcast, and I, I I really enjoy the character of Adam Strange as well. He is one of those characters that DC just can't seem to get a handle on right now. And I think it might be because he is sort of of that age, of that age of uh, you know space exploration that we had in the 1950s and 1960s. That you know our sort of Cold War race against the Russians, not only to get into right. space but to get to the moon, and that sort of pulpy feel just hasn't right. translated to the modern era, and that's kind of disappointing because I think. Yeah, I mean, I I I hope he has a future in the New 52, but I understand why he might not. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just too much straight uh, ray gun and jetpack, you know, sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also, and we'll talk about it later, later in the, you know, in in the issue. But it's also a great love story. Oh yes. And you know, DC is a little little hesitant on those sometimes. Yeah, well, uh, unless in, it's in the new version. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, I know that the DC has kind of shied away from characters having any sort of real lasting romantic relationships. I know that they broke up the relationship between uh, Clark and Lois or Superman and Lois Lane. And, you know, they are pursuing the relationship between uh, Wonder Woman and Superman, but I don't know how that exactly, I know that in Green Lantern, uh, Hal Jordan and Carol Ferris aren't really together. So it's, it's nice at this time that we do have, and we kind of saw that in the previous issue of Green Lantern that we actually have two characters who are in love and who have a, a good relationship together. So I'm, I'm like that. The cover's nice. I will admit that um, I'm trying to see who I can. I'm I'm guessing Corey Nord did the cover as well. Adam looks a little. I don't know whether it's determined or constipated. He's he's, he's struggling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it it seems a bit off, but uh, otherwise the cover is pretty nice. Uh, yeah. I like the I like this very futuristic design of Green Lightning. Uh, the idea of a Flash Green Lantern hybrid who unfortunately can only use one power at a time or isn't comfortable with using another power. I'm certain that'll uh, play into the uh, ongoing story. Yeah, I really like her design. I like the sort of the the ear wings, you know, that speak to the 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 Flash heritage. Um, you know, the bald head that's sort of the big total bodysuit. 
um, you know, her and Adam Strange actually have that in common. You know, the only the only skin that's showing on this whole page is you know above the neck mm-hmm. you know, for for both characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like the design of both. I think Adam's Adam's design has always been a really classic, you know, pulpy hero, and I like that. And the the flat, you know, Green Lightning's uniform is just very sort of modern sci-fi. So having these two sort of futuristic sci-fi characters working side by side, it works in the story. Moving into the book on page one, like I said, I wouldn't have known this had I not listened to your podcast just prior to doing this show. But you mentioned that Adam Strange's world of Ron is supposed to be in approximately four and a half light years away from Earth, which is... What he uh, mentioned here, he said it was a 25 trillion mile trip between Earth and Ron, and calculating that out, that was about the same thing. So I guess Ron is supposed to be in the uh, Centauri, the Proxima Centauri yeah, area. Yeah, it's a it it's it's a ways away. Mm-hmm. Well, which, and which, you know, which is why sometimes sort of the you know the one criticism of Adam Strange, you know, it's kind of you know, can he just get in one of uh, you know, why does he need the Zeta beam? Can he just get in? you know, a rocket ship and, you know, fly there. It's really far away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, 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 I do like at least that notion of space being really empty. Yes. Things are really far away in space. Well, and unfortunately, it's, it's a little like Oklahoma, for example. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. You can drive in Oklahoma for hours and not see, <laughs> not see civilization. Texas is sadly, Texas is sometimes worse. You can go through space spaces of that and all there are cows so (laughs) but um i i the unfortunate thing is i think green lanterns even though that they can kind of wish it away as them being able to traverse these even greater distances with their magic wishing rings i do like that there is specifically in this book a set distance between these two points between earth and ron and that they they don't cheat they don't say, oh, well, it's just a million miles away because right. that's that's not right. That's pretty darn close. So I, li- I like that they give us specific distance. And uh, here on page one there, uh, I'll, I'll give a little spoiler. I'm not a fan of a lot of the art in this book, and I'll, I'll point out some specific things. So where there is stuff that I like, I want to point it out, and I really like this page. Mm-hmm. I like the sort of starscape look at the mm-hmm. the initial yes. shot of the watchtower on the moon with the sun rising up uh, over the earth. That's a nice shot there. Um, yeah, I really didn't have that many comments about the art throughout the book. I thought it was okay. Um, my next note is on page two, and it's just me nitpicking. I'm certain you could probably... You know, chalk it up to Green Lightning's the speed force, but uh, at the speed which Green Lightning is carrying Adam, you know, not only covering, not only being able to run across the uh, ocean, but the uh, friction from it would uh, possibly burn off his skin. But luckily, you know, he's got uh, most of his skin covered, so that's not a problem. Plus, the uh, speed at which he's running would, you know, basically smash all his internal organs as well. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but I, uh, it's cool I, watching him run across the ocean. I gave her, um, I gave her a pass because when she picks him up, she says, "Hold on to your jetpack," and that's a pretty good line. <laughs> so whatever you say after that, 
I think hold on to your jetpack, buddy. It's a pretty great. <laughs> well, and we also get some other great lines on that uh, the page with the Zady beams hitting and they're getting ready to be beamed up. You know, Alan channels uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive and says, you know, we ain't seen nothing yet. So, <clears throat> you know, not only did we have, you know, Peter Gabriel in the last uh, last issue, but we had some Bachman Turner Overdrive. We're just we're just basically classic rocking it up this uh, this this episode. Um, now, I don't like on page three with the title pages. I do not like her angle. Yeah, the that's pose is very weird. Yeah, it's got that. She looks like she's sticking her butt out for some reason. I don't. Yeah, I mean understand. her, but I mean yeah, she's standing and her knees are bent in. Her feet are way apart, mm-hmm. but her knees are almost touching. Yeah, it's it's a really weird. Uh, maybe she's. Uh, Maybe she's uh, getting ready to do the uh, the time warp, and she's going to do the pelvic thrust here. We can even but put I, we can even put some uh, some uh, Rocky Horror Picture in the show stuff. I did like seeing here, uh, as you mentioned, Brian K. Vaughn uh, writing this, and this is probably not the only, but pretty uh, off the top of my head, the only sort of mainstream superhero work that I know of his that I've read. I've read all of Why the Last Man. I've read some r- r- Runaways, if that sort of counts. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things about Ex Machina and Saga. But it was really fun to see something from really early in his career when he was still doing sort of mainstream superhero work. Yeah, I think Brian K. Vaughn really uh, had, had a great idea for this story. And he, I think he writes the first and second chapter of the uh, Circle of Fire story. So, uh, And I, I like what he's done here. He's got a good take on, uh, especially on Adam Strange, and, you know, bringing this sort of, you know, conflicted Green Lantern character in the book, too. It works really well. My next note is uh, the, the two-page splash here with all the Ronians, the... Uh, flying around and basically gone mad it's it's really nice i love the futuristic design in the buildings i'm not certain the last time i encountered adam strange or ron or anything in the green lantern book was basically where kyle had to rescue the floating city of ranagar and bring it down to the planet and i guess the planet had kind of been devastated by war prior to this and they're sort of rebuilding after that Mm -hmm. do you do you have any uh Inside, sounds, yeah, that 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 sounds right. That's I think that's that's in the aftermath of the. I, I covered a three-part uh, prestige format series from 1990, and that ended with a very with a significant change to the classic Adam Strange status quo. And then I think they tried to pull that back over the last, you know, over the the decades since then. Okay. So this would be sort of in that trying to. I mean, they'd written out Alana, for example, mm. um, uh, uh, of the story and done some other things to, like, you know, Ranagar was sort of floating off in space. So this is all part of the, not quite retcon, but um, bringing back into status quo some of the traditional aspects of yeah. the strange uh, storyline. And I thought this page. I th- a two-page spread is supposed to be awe-inspiring, and this is n- nice. It's good, but I wanted great when I turned that page into a two-page spread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. And yeah, I, I think I think part of it is the perspective. Those 
those Ronians who are fighting each other are sort of so far away in the distance. I mean, they're really small. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's, you're, you're not seeing any detail. Yeah, I guess there. I guess that does kind of diminish it. You do see the interesting cityscape and the very yeah. futuristic city, but you're not really seeing the devastation that exactly. supposedly is supposed exactly. to be going on. Yeah, all the characters look very... You know, since they are so far away, they look almost like stick figures. So, yeah. yeah. Um, my next note, and this will be something where I'm sort of complimentary about the art, is on page eight, that bottom panel there. Carrie oh, uh, yeah. Nord does a good job uh, focusing. You know, you've got this scene of uh, focusing in on Adam's eyes. And you can tell just from not only the word balloons here where he says that he's got to get to his, his wife and his family, but the image of Adam's eyes clearly conveys his concern over what's going on and this uh you know this this page is about the two worlds aspect of adam you know being an earth man and iranian and that's again one of the sort of the key story beats you have to hit with adam strange Mm -hmm. that's 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 part of what makes the character who he is sort of almost you know there's a there's an expression in in sports in football you know, you need you need a quarterback, you know, to run your football team. And the problem is if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback. You know, if you have two guys who are equally good, you need, you know, you need one to be really good. And oh, the yeah. analogy is that so the, the phrase is if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks. And I think in Adam Strange's case, he has two homes, which means he doesn't have a home. Right. He has Earth and Ran as his homes, which means he doesn't have a home. And, you know, where you, you know, you, you have to include that in Adam Strange storytelling. You know, it's such a fundamental aspect. Yeah. And that's, that, that, that is an interesting part of his character that, you know, where does he, where does his allegiance lie? Does it, uh, does it lie with his original birthplace or does it ally, ally with the place where he has his loved ones and his family? And, that's that's a really interesting character beat for this thing. It's it's one of those things that I think you could easily be expanded on, and probably was during the time when Adam Strange was being written in Mystery in Space and stuff like that. But unfortunately, yeah. they're not taking advantage of it now. The next page, I have to admit, and this is one of the things that just kind of bugged me, was the fact that he feels that he has to rely on a scientific translating device to talk to his wife. And daughter. I mean, that did not make any sense to me. It, it belies That's just something I haven't. I mean, I haven't seen that before. Well, and it belies the fact that if he is this passionate about his family, why wouldn't he take the time out to learn yeah. that language? Yeah. I mean, I understand it's a futuristic society, and you know they probably have translating devices that would allow them to speak, you know, with each other. But you know. I, Technology fails us every once in a while, so learn how to speak the language. But you know, there you go. Maybe just a drop of that. Um, the next ta- the next page, page ten. I can I can see why Adam is uh, interested in Alana, and uh, <laughs> uh, two two words: boob window. Sorry, that's now that is not the way that Alana normally dresses. I I can only assume, but that it's, um, but um, it's a special I, I, occasion. This, maybe? this must be <laughs> this 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 must be part of the possession. 
Uh, that's probably the it. lowest cut top she could find. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I, I don't know if that's an attempt at alien future fashion or something, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I I will admit, you know, she doesn't even know that the uh, the boob window thing is a ridiculous fashion trope that should not work at all. If you take away that, if you were to color that in and make her top complete, uh, I think she'd look very naturalistic. I think uh, Nora does a good job of not drawing her out of proportion, uh, drawing her very attractively. Right, okay. But yeah. I think the just the cleavage shot is a bit out yeah. of place. And I, th- I th- and I do think there on page ten when she's she's pulling the weapon on him, it's a great angle. Oh, so yeah. It's a great position. It's a great composition. Again, it doesn't work for me for that to be Alana, but uh, yeah. but it 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 is a great uh, you know the again the the angle the way the hair's flowing it it's it's really a nice a nice piece of art. Mm-hmm. After that, I don't have a really specific note until like page twelve. Do you have anything until then? Yeah, I've got on 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 eleven. I just like that this is really a cool weakness. Or vulnerability that Green Lightning has. Uh, this fact that at least maybe psychologically she can only use the one power at a time, and I think that that's just just a nice weakness or vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll you know, agree with you that you know that's I, on the on the long list of topics for uh, Emily and I to talk about eventually on Shortbox Showcase. We're going to talk about. No vulnerabilities or weaknesses. I, th- I actually think this one's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the whole mental block or the sort of you know psychological feel that you can't do this because you know it betrays you know or you can only focus on one certain thing and you're not capable of doing this other thing is a neat sort of it, it's a, a neat way of working it into this character. So, and I think the psychological block will eventually play into the overall story of the circle of fire and the five different lanterns as well. You know, and, and, and with, as we said, with the two worlds aspect of Adam strange, you also have the duality there in, in green lightning. So that's a nice sort of mirror or a nice, just a nice piece of a, a nice piece of writing to include that. There's the both suffering from or dealing with, issues that have you know, some similarities to each other yes um my next note was on page 12 and this was another i don't know what brian k bond's politics are but we get a bit of we get a bit of ego hippiness here in the fact that <laughs> I, I can understand with ron that i know it's been devastated by war and such that uh, it would have areas where there wouldn't be that much foliage or whatever but the idea that in the future oh we don't have very much foliage or plant life on earth as well just kind of it it, it bugged me i mean not so much that i disliked the book but it was just one of those things like oh why do we need a why do we need an ecology message and in my funny book i i I can go watch you know an inconvenient truth if i want that (laughs) i did like the the swamp thing reference Mm -hmm. that 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 is part of the of the Adam Strange storyline. That swamp that, thing that actually. Af, that swamp thing. Uh, Alec Holland did uh, end up on Ran somehow and helped uh, bring back the plant life to one of the many times that Ran has been ravaged by war. Nice. Page thirteen. Yeah, 
I guess the the crux of the story for both the characters is overcoming self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And this page, it just feels like a bit heavy-handed. I know, I know Adam being torn between these two worlds feels a connection to both. But this, this amount of self-doubt in the book just feels like it's placed here simply to progress the story along. And it feels a bit out of character for Adam. That did seem a little 2000, 2001. It did seem a little modern psychoanalysis, self-aware that a ray gun shooting jetpack wearing guy from 1955 might not have, you know, Mm. that level of, you know, self-analysis and. Yeah, it, it did, it did seem sort of, yeah. Adam's always been sort of, yes, the, the pulp hero who's like, you know, black and white, good and evil, take care of things that now he's suddenly all, you know, Oprah or Dr. Filling his own actions. And that just, I do like the, I, I do like the panel layout and the design on that page. I think it's a nice use of colors and shadows, Mm -hmm. sort of a progressive, you know, the background on the first top panel is a very yellow, then it becomes darker orange and red. Uh, as you as you go down, and there's a play of sometimes you're seeing the full face of the characters, and sometimes you're seeing them in you know in shadow. Yeah. So I like that it's again, sort of the technical artistry of it. Uh, I thought was strong there. Again, what they're saying, yeah. Yeah, it does it does feel a bit. Uh, you know, I hate to use the word Oprah esque, but it does feel that sort of sort a little, of a, a, a little new agey. Yeah. Um, but that's all, that's all chucked out the window over the next couple of pages where Adam has to take on a giant demon cat lizard thing that, yeah, thanks for describing that. I had no idea. I just put that that's uh, on my notes. That's a lot of question marks. (laughs) I didn't know any words to put in any order to describe what that thing is. You know, I, (laughs) I do like here on page 16 after, you know, the, the big beastie tries to chomp on Adam that it seems to have some form of like atomic breath or something in that third panel. <laughs> it's got like right. Godzilla sort of, I, I don't, it, it doesn't specifically show that it's fire breath or something, but he's breathing out something that's, that would be detrimental if it yes. hit Adam. So <laughs> uh, it's a nice fight sequence. It's a weird designed alien thing. And I like that, you know, Adam, since he doesn't have his ray gun, he, He's 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 a he uses whatever he can to try and take this thing out and mm-hmm. blows it up by tossing his jetpack into his mouth, which is yep. awesome. Um, after that, uh, you know, I don't really have. I think my last real note is about uh, the fact that it was the wavelength of light that flashes in a manner to drive the Ryanians crazy. I think. I think that's a good explanation that since, you know, the Ronians are aliens and they might perceive light at a different wavelength than we might, that this variation or fluctuation in light could cause them to go crazy. I didn't like, again, the sort of tying it to children's cartoons saying that, oh, remember those kids' cartoons that had the flashing lights on it and that made kids have epileptic seizures? Maybe that's the same thing. If they would have just said, you know, it's flashing lights 
and not sort of tried to tie it into a, a specific thing like that, I think that would have worked better for me. Yeah, I think I mean I think they're trying to figure out where he's getting this insight from, but yeah, mm. it, it 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 works, I guess. But there's a on the page before on page eighteen, uh, the the bottom uh, of that of the, the last panel on page eighteen is where sort of he's figuring it out, <laughs> and that uh, that is so cartoony. Yeah, I, mean, it... I, I almost want a, a light bulb over his head again, and and, and that's where. <laughs> There were moments of cartooniness in the in the art, sort of exemplified there. But that that that's not the only place that I that I saw. And that that's part of it. Oh, sort of so close. There's so many nice design elements and shadow elements, but then there are some of these drawings that just aren't working for me. Yeah, that, and that's I, one of them. It's like, oh, I figured it out. Yes, and he, it's 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 almost He's, a you know literally pointing his index finger up. Hey. Yes. Yes, it is, is. It is very much on the nose, and yeah, I could see if this were, if this were an animated series done by Hanna Barbera, there would be a light bulb <laughs> just lighting up right over his head there. Um, after that, I really don't have any notes. They discover the lantern. You know, I like the coloring on that page. Mm-hmm. You know, all all the the various shades of green light that the big the big lantern is is putting out. Both uh, again. Nice shadow work, and then also nice, nice color and shading. Mm-hmm. And, and this is well into the era of, of digital coloring, and it, it, it's they've finally gotten it down to a point where they can do the various different shades of green and make it look good. And you know, because I remember the early, right. some of the early digital coloring just didn't look good at all. And so I, I like this. Um, we get the finale where. Green Lightning is able to utilize both her powers at the same time. She's basically overcome her mental block, and you know that uh, frees everyone from their their craziness. You get another shot of uh, Madonna or Alana in her ridiculous <laughs> top. Uh, and again, on the last couple of pages, she, especially on the top of twenty-two, but even yes. on the bottom of twenty-one, there's some weird cartoony niche in her expressions that isn't quite working for me. It, it looks, it looks almost anime style. She doesn't exactly. have quite exactly. sailor moon type eyes, but her face is very, the, the nose is way too small. The, the lips are too, just the proportions and, and the, the, the shapes that the, there is a, there is an anime you know, look to it. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, it ends with the uh, green lightning and uh, Adam strange having to go off to the remnants of Oa uh, for a final showdown with Oblivion. So I think all the books, uh, at least the books I've read so far, are sort of culminating with that, and that's what's going to be happening in the uh, second Circle of Fire story. So, you know, and and, and you know, I I like here at the end once you know once Alana is you know freed from the possession or whatever it is. Again, we do get that the idea of this as one of DC's great love stories. Mm-hmm. You know the, their relationship, and it's always doomed because he's always being Zeta beamed away, or in this case, you know, going off to you know to to save an you know save another world. But it's it's a credit to Alana, and it's a credit to their relationship that she's like, I know you have to do this. You are a hero. Right. Go do right. this, rather than I want you to stay here. You know, she she understands that he is a hero, and she's willing to accept that, and that that right. just shows what kind of wonderful relationship that they have. And that's, yeah, and, that's, and you know, you've, 
you you mentioned that the latest episode of the quarter bin that's released you know this morning as of as of our recording episode 33 I talk about it a lot in there. There's a, a story in there that features Adam and Alana and also Ralph and Sue Dibney. And, you know, you can have your Lois and Clark. You can have your Kyle and his membership in the Girl of the Month Club. <laughs> um, but the Dibneys and the Stranges are just great couples. Yes. They're, they're just two of the most full. And, I, and I, 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 I use this expression in, you know, in, in the episode that you just heard, but they're adult relationships they're grown-ups yes having relationships yes it's having not grown-up married married relationships mm-hmm. it's not all it's not all wine and roses it's not all lovey-dovey there are points in time where they take pot shots at each other there are times when they do things to annoy each other you know but enough about our marriages <laughs> let's talk about no, our relationships are perfect. <laughs> Come on, Professor Allen. You know that our, we love our wives to the ends of the exactly. <laughs> though not though to the ends of twenty five million miles away. That's a lot. That's I mean, again, but you know, again, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm just had just you know recorded that that episode recently, so that's it's all all fresh in my mind. All this this Adam Strange stuff, but you know, even when I was again, again reading those old mystery in spaces in, at, at age you know, eight or 10 or something and not knowing a whole lot about boy girl relationships. But I knew that being able to see the love of your life for only brief moments every now and then, whenever the Zeta beam would let it was a great setup. Oh yes. You know, to a story that that was such a, you know, you know, a great, uh, you know, story engine for drama. Yes. And this, you know, the idea of a star crossed relationship separated by, you know, trillions of miles mm-hmm. and that, that there's only, you only get the, to see the love of your life, you know, on very rare occasions. And very often that person is pulled away to do super heroic things is just it, it, to show that they have a relationship that allows that to happen is a credit to how well-written those characters are. Yes. And, and I think teaming, I think teaming them with the Dibneys, which is another, I don't want to say perfect, but another realistic, you know, married right. couple in the DC right. universe is just a great idea. So I, I need to go seek out that issue. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, so far, uh, the Circle of Fire stories have been pretty good. I, I hope you enjoyed good. it as well. Absolutely. Well, Professor Allen, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to get you to come on. I'll, I'll have to come, have you come on again because I know. We've done some uh, Green Lantern and Green Arrow stories, and I think we might have some of those coming up here right. uh, in the future. Uh, it, and it'll actually be Kyle and uh, Kyle and uh, Oliver Oliver Queen. Nice, so, nice. So I may have to see about uh, tagging you for that. But in the meantime, why don't you go ahead and tell people uh, the kind of stuff that you're doing out on the internet nowadays? Yeah, well, it was uh, it was uh, last summer, summer of 2013, that my daughter Emily, just out of college and starting her job search announced that thing that no parent wants to hear, that she wanted to start a comic book podcast. Uh, okay, I mean, I guess there are worse things, but still. So, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm still hoping I never have to go through the podcasting route with my daughter. Uh, I'm not looking forward <laughs> to having to tell her about the podcasting birds and bees. I know, I know. <laughs> now, I, I had been appearing on the Book Guy show for oh, maybe a year or so at that point, obviously. You know, 
she wanted to join in on the fast lane of being a podcast celebrity. You understand, Sean, the fame, the money. Oh, yeah, the money. Yeah, it's, it's all there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can afford all of the 25-cent comic books I want, you know, <laughs> as long as I want just like four or five of them. So, <laughs> so the, the, the two of us decided to go in together, and we created the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network which is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or in iTunes. And we have three shows ongoing currently. Uh, Emily's solo show is Uncovering the Bronze Age, in which she puts her sociology major to good work, looking at the issues that were addressed in DC Comics during the 1970s. Uh, My solo show, which we've mentioned numerous times, thank you, Sean, check is in the mail, is the Quarterbin podcast. Talk about my favorite types of comics, cheap comic books. And so far, 30 plus episodes in, I've looked at Batman stories and Superman, Green Arrow, Wonder Woman, Ron, John Sable, Luke Cage, and of course, Adam Strange. Uh, together, uh, she and I do the short box showcase where we usually talk about topics in comics more than just covering issues or stories we do some of that as well but we've talked about you know concepts like continuity or underread comics conventions and cosplay uh, those sorts of topics and we do some special shows on occasion as well it's all in the same feed relatively geeky all this all at the same website yeah if you are not listening to the shows on the relatively geeky podcast network you're doing yourself a disservice i i have to say that there are two podcasts that come to the top of my list whenever you know they show up on my feed and it's the short box showcase and hey kids comics because i love the generational aspect that both you and emily and uh, andy and michael bring to their shows i think it's just wonderful you guys have a great dynamic i know that you were initially thinking that the uncovering bronze age and quarter bin podcast would be the highlights of the network but to for me honestly the short box showcase is just is just a joy to listen whenever it comes up on the feed yeah, don't tell Emily, but it's a real joy to record that with her too. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't, we, you know, we we don't want our kids to have too high a self esteem. You know what I'm saying? No, we've got to we've got to lower their self esteem whenever we can. <laughs> but Professor Allen, it's just been a joy to have you on, and I will definitely have you back on sometime soon. It was, it was great to be here, Sean. Really appreciate it. No problem. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you for downloading. Next time, we'll be taking a look at, obviously, the next issue of Green Lantern, uh, which is Green Lantern number 134, plus the next issue in the Circle of Forest, sorry, the Circle of Fire storyline, which is going to be Green Lantern and the Atom. So we'll be checking those out next time. Until then, I hope everyone has a great week, and we'll catch you in seven days. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Greenland podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too. 
as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scan the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast or search for Two True Freaks, the numeral two, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can also search me on Facebook. And now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Debonsecor contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show was Paramore and their song This Circle, off their EP, The Summer Tick. Now, unfortunately, this EP is really hard to find, but most of Paramore's other music isn't. And one of the best places you could find Paramore's music, such as albums like Riot and Brand New Eyes, can be easily found over at Amazon.com. And if you'd like to buy these songs or buy these albums from Amazon.com, I suggest you go first to TwoTrueFreaks.com. When you go to TwoTrueFreaks.com and click the banner up in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage, you'll be transported to Amazon where you can buy these songs or songs from any other band that you'd like. You can also buy electronics, games, movies, videos, anything the modern geek could really love, and all for ridiculously low prices. Plus, whenever you use the link at twotruefreaks.com, a small amount of your purchase price gets shunted back to the website. It won't cost you anything extra, so you won't see anything come out of your pocketbook, but the people at Two True Freaks get a little bonus. So if you're ever thinking about buying music, movies, games, or anything else from Amazon.com, make sure you use the link at twotruefreaks.com. That's, that's perfect podcasting etiquette. I don't find a problem with that at all. That, that's just that's just for the pre-show chat, okay? <laughs> Paul Spataro was uh, what was he munching on some of those Stacy's oh, yeah. uh, pita chips? Not the salted ones, uh, but like they were like cinnamon sugar ones. Yeah, basically saying <laughs> that he was going to go into diabetic coma eating them. So, <laughs> so. no no spoilers, but tomorrow I might be meeting Shag. Oh, really? Yep, he's coming to town. Oh, that'll be cool. And, What's, and, is he business or? Yeah, yeah, he's coming to town. So me and Emily and I think Russell Burbage, a couple of locals are going to try to. Oh, that'll be cool. Meet up at a comic store or something. And uh, I've and I told get... him I I I thought I I have to I have to give you my line. I told him, oh man, it's so exciting. I'm going to meet somebody who's met Michael Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that should yeah. Let him know that. That should make him feel wonderful. <laughs> That's sort of right. I mean, do you have to call it a number one? Isn't that number only? See, <laughs> yeah, <it's> a, <laughs> see, that's I, the thing. I, it's got... I couldn't figure out with with today's you know issue with that. Uh, you know, I did the special mystery in space. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's officially listed as number one, but I I, I couldn't bring myself to call it that. <laughs>